Hey guys, Steve with UnashamedUnafraid.com, a blog unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Uh, so this is our third episode of Answering Anonymous Questions. Um, I will again apologize that it took us so long to get this one out. So to who it is who submitted our, our question today, I'm sorry that we've taken so long to get back to you. Um, you've been on my mind and I'm the worst. So I am here uh, with Brian Murdoch to Brian Murdoch Counseling. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Steve. Yeah. So why don't um, I found it's better when people introduce themselves? They're better <clears throat> at it than I am. So why don't you just give us like the first date, you know, background, yeah. career, who you are? Well, like Steve said, I'm Brian Murdoch with Brian Murdoch Counseling in private practice. Um, I've been in the mental health field since 1992, so I've been working in this field for for many years. Um, but have recently, in my private practice, been working with sexual addictions as well as other types of trauma um, that might relate to these types of addictions as well. So um, I have been in this location for about six months um, and I'm looking forward to um, answering this question as best as I can and, and trying to help out. So I have chased Brian down for this question. Um, because uh, with his with his shift with the six months movie shift to more of a focus on addiction stuff, um, I have seen him at work. He he's an excellent therapist, and um, so I thought a great resource to answer this question. So, getting into it, um, here's our question. So, from anonymous person, thank you for submitting your question again. It takes a lot of courage. I always like to bring that up. Um, I'm grateful that I found this site. My life situation is such that I don't have any safe people that I can talk to besides my wife, who is amazingly supportive and understanding. Excellent that you have that wife, and thanks for finding us. We're glad. Um, uh, there, yeah, I understand. There are limits, though, to how much she can help. Uh, we can talk about that. Um, so my question for you is, what do you find is defined as being sober? I find for drug addicts and alcoholics, it's easy. You can want to drink, think about drinking, but as long as you don't drink, you're sober, and thus worthy in the eyes of a bishop. So that's a reference for anyone uh, listening. So that's a, a LDS Mormon reference, so bishop being pastor, congregational leader. Um, I feel uh, with any form of SA, for any sexual addiction, um, there's such a continuum. My brain and emotions have been broken for so long that phrases like, do your best, when you feel worthy, when you feel forgiven, um, when you no longer want it, are of no help. I want to be sober and pass this so badly. Um, but I don't even know what that is other than uh, not having any arousing thoughts about anything except my wife, which seems impossible. Can't relate to that one. No, just kidding. <laughs> totally can. 100% relatable. Absolutely. So, um, so I think he has a couple questions in here. But um, so, so I understand kind of what he's saying, you know, sobriety, you know, if you're a heroin addict, have you shot up heroin? No, you're sober, right? right? So, there's, right. So, so tell me, how do you define sobriety? Right. Well, here's, here's how I look at it. And um, when I think of sobriety, I would agree with, with the uh, person who's asking the question that sobriety means a lack of the acting out behavior, right? So if it's a substance, you're not taking a substance. If it's sexual addiction, you're not acting out on that sexual addiction. Um, however, when we want, we want to take it one step further in my mind. 
and not just have sobriety. We want to be in recovery. And that's a different level in my mind. Okay, so sobriety is the lack of the behavior. But recovery is actually when we're changing that brain chemistry uh, that leads to the addiction. And um, so. And I'm going to jump here really yeah, quick. Yeah, absolutely. When you say behaviors, we're talking about actual behaviors right. masturbation, porn. Right sexual interaction with someone who's not our wife exactly. in this scenario. And, and not was, not right. the thought stuff he's kind of talking about. That's what you're about no. to get into. Right. But I just want to, for everyone listening, want to have a clear-cut line yes. of what you're talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's the behaviors. It's the acting on those behaviors. Yep. Okay. So now, that that's sobriety. You're right. Um, and I think in your question, you even said, well, if you're an alcoholic, you can still think about wanting to have a drink and still be sober. Well, same thing with sexual addiction. You can still have those same thoughts and not acting on the behaviors, which Steve just defined, and that's, that's being sober. But that's not recovery in my mind. And recovery is what I think you're craving and what you want. Uh, the recovery in my mind is where you, and for me personally, it was, I almost felt like there was a physical change going on in my brain. But um, that was my personal experience. Right? And I don't know that everybody's going to have that experience, and I don't know that that's what it'll feel like for somebody else. But in recovery, it's where we're changing that brain chemistry so that that prefrontal cortex, that executive functioning part of the brain that's atrophied during our addiction, is actually being able for to For those come back. who are dumb, tell us the, what the word atrophy means. Atrophy means actually shrinks. They, they okay. show in studies... Um, and in the book, He Restoreth My Soul, I think they, they referenced that. On my resource page. Yeah. Yep. Um, so what we want to do is we want to get that, that prefrontal cortex or that executive functioning part of the brain back where it needs to be. And part of that is working on the, the thoughts. And, and the actual um, addictive part, that's not necessarily the acting out behavior, but it's what's going on in the brain. So... My, my thought is this, if I can describe it. Um, your, your lack of acting out on the behavior, we're going to call sobriety, right? But that doesn't mean we're in recovery because in the mind, we can still be having a lot of things going on, like objectifying, um, going back to old behaviors that we bring up in our mind that still, still releases that same chemical in the brain that um, keeps the addiction going. And well, I think you're kind of reading between the lines for him, right? Because uh, right. when he says, you know, when people say, you know, when you're doing your best, when you feel worthy. Right. And so I, I think he gets the sobriety part. Right. I think he's struggling with the stuff you're talking about right, right. now. And, this and is a lot the, of us do. I mean, this is a really good question. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question because this is the hardest part. And this is why it feels like we could never get through it because it's the brain and it's the thought process that is so difficult. Um it's how much time we give that thought process in my mind that makes a difference. If we can recognize it early and say, okay, I'm objectifying, um, I'm going back to old behaviors, at least in thought, and it's still releasing that chemical, well, then we're, we're keeping the brain chemistry in the same thing, and we're kind of white-knuckling it at that point, and that feels unsustainable. But you're telling me that with some sobriety, which I think takes some white knuckling. There's mm -hmm. some just you got to you got to grip it and you do figure it out. And with some recovery, you're describing that brain change. But I'm gonna say maybe more emotionally. You know, do you feel like it actually changes? Or and so the term I always use is, or am I always looking over your shoulder? 
Because I think his fear, reading into the question, is he fears he's always going to be looking over his shoulder. Right. Well, and um, as I look at this, you always have to be aware. But the feeling of looking over, over the shoulder... The weight of that. Yeah, doesn't have to be there. In fact, there's this is very freeing when we get to that recovery piece. This is the golden nugget. This yeah. is the part you underline. Um, this, is, this is where you feel like, all of a sudden, it's like, you know what? My mind doesn't automatically go there, or when it does automatically go there, I recognize it soon enough that it doesn't stay there. And I don't have to constantly be on guard, and I don't have to constantly be fighting those those thoughts. And it is absolutely possible to get there. Um, the ways that I feel like we can get there, or we have to be very aware, we have to, we have to spend the time to do the daily things um, that get us in the right frame of mind and, and I think usually earlier in the morning so that we have that day-long way to think about it is what's helpful. Well, I think you're describing the recovery lifestyle change, mm-hmm. right? That, that I, I heard a lot of people, so I just had a spouse say of an addict, she's like, I don't want to do recovery. I don't want to go into these therapy stuff all the time and we're saying all this crap to each other that we're supposed to say because we got a can from the therapist and this recovery stuff sucks. And I remember thinking, I'm like, she just doesn't know. Um, so it's a lifestyle change. But I think people on the front end don't realize how freeing that is. Right. So so as a, going back to a more addict self of mine, like when you say you have to do the days or whatever, I'm like, well, then you're still looking over your shoulder. Right. You're still stuck. But it's it's not. It's you change because cause you want to. Right. You, you change because, I mean, so I think of like, so I don't I don't drink or do drugs. And I don't have to wake up every day and do something special to not do that. My lifestyle just leads me to not do those things, and I'm happy that it does, and I'm good with it. Right. Similar? I mean, is that what yes. you're saying? Yes. And, and I always use the this analogy, and maybe it's not a good one, but when I was young and I used to get a shot from the doctor, um, if you tense up your muscle when you get that shot, it hurts a heck of a lot more, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you relax that muscle and just let that, that happen and, and that you barely feel the shot. Well, it's kind of the same thing. We're so tense and fighting this addiction that we become exhausted. And that's why it feels unsustainable. Well, when we get to this place, it's almost like relaxing into it. You know what? I, I can relax into it. I'm, I'm not so tense all the time that I lose the energy. Because, yeah, if we all had to be constantly looking over our shoulder... We can't maintain that kind of energy. And it feels like there's just no way to do it. I'm hanging on to a cliff by my fingertips. Mm-hmm. And and we don't want to be even anywhere near that cliff. No, that's, a, that's 100%. And also, I think, as you described, like the brain change, um, <clears throat> that happens. So I use an example when I talk to people. If, if you've seen the movie La La Land, anyone, mm-hmm. the lead actress is a redhead. My wife is a redhead. So in this previous scene, she's wearing a blue dress. And my wife has this thing that she doesn't look good in blue. I think she looks great in blue. So I'm thinking about that previous scene of her in the blue dress. I'm like, I don't know why Kayla doesn't wear blue. And I'm kind of, th- I'm, so I'm still there. The next scene is at a pool. And in the back of the scene is this blonde in this skimpy blue bikini. And so I lean over to Kayla and I say, hey, I really think you look good in blue. What's your problem with that? So she instantly is like, oh. The blonde in the back of the bikini. You're a jerk. That you know, and I remember, you know, she in the moment didn't get it with me, but that was a victory moment for me because previous addict Steve, the second that scene came on, I would have been sexually filtering. I would have been right to that blonde in the bikini, 
fantasizing about that. So for me, that was a brain-changing victory moment right. where I was like, I didn't even notice. Like, right. I really didn't notice. Or I've had before, you know, we all know, you know, going into public places can be hard because, right. you know, people wear different things. And then you're like, oh, I remember going to public places and I'm sexually filtering all the time. And, um, you know, I was just at, at Disneyland and no sexual filtering. I wasn't looking around at what women are here and what, you know, what are they wearing? So, I mean, I've experienced a lot of that brain change. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. It, it's not a weight you – recovery is a lifestyle, and you're, right. you're going to stick with it and change, but it's not a weight you have to sit with, right? Right, right absolutely. It, it feels freer. It feels lighter. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we're looking for. That's, that's the thing that's sustainable is when it feels that. But you, have to do, you do have to work through that to get to that place, and that, that's a lot of awareness and a lot of changing when, when you notice something happens. We're human beings. We're going to notice. We're going to have sexual feelings. We're going to have, you know, those kinds of things that come up. But it's um, contaminating the the fantasy immediately. It's uh, one thing I use is that's none of my business. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that in my own head is, you know what? She would probably be very upset if she knew what I was thinking. <laughs> it's she doesn't know yeah. me. I don't know her. So yeah. that's really none of my business. Yeah. Right. That's one of the ways that I help humanize people. that yeah. experience of objectify. Well, exactly. Yeah. She's no longer just an object. Now she's a human being that I've, yeah. I've interacted with a little bit. Yeah. In, in my own head, that's saying, well, that's you know, I wouldn't want her to know what that thought was. So that that immediately contaminates the fantasy for me. Everybody has to find. What does it for them? Yeah. So I'm reading into this a little bit. Obviously, there's a, a core question here from our question-asking person, who, again, I commend you for your courage. Of, I, I get the feeling he's kind of worried that he's never going to be okay. Mm-hmm. That's a... There's fair. there's some there's some there's some shame there. Right. Some that he's not he's done something bad. He is bad, and right. there, and he's not ever going to get out of there right so with the recovery you know how does that kind of change happen where you can change the i am bad to i'm okay yeah well one of the biggest things we have to remember is self-compassion and self-care right We, we know that god loves us and always will no matter what and if we can take that that knowledge that he loves us and have that be our core versus i'm bad then we're going to be able to move forward. Now, the, the difference between toxic shame and shame, or if you want to say guilt and shame, or however you want to term that, is, you know, with the toxic shame, it, it says, I am bad. Well, that's, that's just not true. You're not bad. Um, regular shame is, I did something bad, or I made a bad decision. We all do that as human beings. That's part of being here, and that's part of our experience, that's part of our learning. And, and if we don't take those struggles and learn from them, then we've missed an opportunity. But we're still lovable people. Yeah. And, and that's what we have to remember, is that just because we make a bad decision doesn't make us bad. And I think um, to our questioner, I'd say there's some good examples of this. Uh, I always talk about Chris and Autumn's story, but um, Rob's story is on the blog. Um, Mac and Melissa, they do a good job talking about this specifically just how their view of themselves changed and the peace they had in their life changed. Um, the other thing he, he brought up kind of initially, which he didn't ask as a question, but I think he phrased well and is where a lot of people are, you know, is when he said, you know, I don't have a lot of people in my life who can support me. You know, my wife's there for me, 
but she can't kind of be a live all end all. So tell me about about that. I mean, what you know for me having experiences with other men was is really big, but um, a lot of people do a lot of different things. But in in principle, um, you know, w- how do you how do you do that? Because because you, your wife can't be you, one. You can't get your validation from her no. and have her define you. That's just right. a mess. Um, even though we all try and do it all the time. Um, but so, so what's the shift that needs to happen there in right. that situation? Cause we can all relate to that. When he said that, I was like, you mean everyone else, bro? Like right. I get that. So, well, part of that is shame based, right? Um, how, how do we find the support system we need and who are we willing to talk to and how are we willing to talk to them about it? How do we find that group that can understand what we're going through and not give us the, the road answers like you put in this, in his question. Right. Right. And part of that is... I like that. The road answers. <laughs> and, and that's exactly yes. what it is, right? Well said. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so basically, we want to look for those support groups that are going to help us in our recovery. Whether it's an SA group, whether it's uh, a group like a, a Lifestar, and, and different things like that. There's there's many groups out Life there. Lifestar being group therapy. Right. Just in case not. Yep. Right. We, we want to look for a way to find a, a group that's going to understand what we're working on, be able to help us have a more internal locus of control when it comes to how we feel about ourselves. If Again, if, we're, if, we're, if they're dumb like I am... What does locus mean? Okay, locus is location. So if I have an internal location of control or internal locus of control, that means I have a sense of self that's okay. And that's what we're trying to build through this. Not defined by exterior things. Exactly. So okay. an external locus of control would be I get my validation from external sources. And if I'm trying to get mm-hmm. my validation from external mm-hmm. sources, then I'm always trying to hustle to get that. So I might not be honest. I might not be transparent. I might do whatever I can to try and control the outcome in that situation mm-hmm. because I need that external validation to tell me I'm okay. But we never truly believe that. So it's an insatiable appetite. It's like having a bucket that we're trying to fill with a hole in the bottom. Mm-hmm. It just never stays full. Well said. So if we have the internal locus of control, that says I know from from inside and from whatever my higher power is, that I am okay, that I have value, that I have worth. Now when those external things happen, it puts us on a little bit of an up and a down. I get a, a, some positive feedback. Me as a human being, I love that. I want that. So it gives me a little bit of a high. It feels good. But if somebody criticizes me, it's going to sting, but it's not going to take me out. But if I have that external locus of control, if somebody criticizes me or says I'm not okay in some way through words or action... I'm going to take a nosedive, and that's when I'm usually going to want to act out because that's when I'm emotionally dysregulated, and I want to go back to the addiction. Well, and this kind of connects, like you said, he said the road answers in here, right? When you're doing your best, I'm quoting you now, you know, when you feel worthy, um, when you feel forgiven, when you no longer want it. um, You know, and he also said, but, you know, as long as you don't drink, you're sober, and thus worthy in the eyes of a bishop or his pastor. And um, I think you've, you've answered all that kind of backhandedly that the only person who needs to feel good about your recovery at the end of the day is you. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I've had, I've had a lot of people ask me, well, how do you get someone to recover? How do you help someone recover? And I think they get pissed, but I always say if they want to, they will. Mm -hmm. And and I met this Methodist, uh, uh, minister in, uh, uh, when I was living in Baltimore and he, he said that he said, you know how you get people to quit smoking? If they want to quit, they will. Mm Mm-hmm. And so just like we have to want our own recovery, I think that, that the definition of whether or not 
we're doing the right things in recovery that has to come from that internal mm-hmm. locus to use your words mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. to make that that and so to our anonymous question answer uh your wife or your bishop or whoever else it is that might be those external sources for him right. cannot define whether or not he's okay right he's got to figure that out internally Absolutely. that's what i hear you saying yes Yes, and that and when that feels congruent, and again, I don't want to have that be a road answer because it, it can't be. You you have to be able to say, okay, I'm a human being that makes mistakes, but I'm still That's lovable. That's the self-compassion part. Absol- yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I'm a human being that makes mistakes. And what we do is we work on making those mistakes be less intense and less frequent and, and less serious, right? But we're going to make mistakes. So my mistake now might be, wow, I lingered a little too long and probably objectified a little bit. So I want that to be my mistake versus letting my emotional dysregulation take me back to looking at porn or masturbation or whatever it may be, right? So that's when we're in recovery is when we're being able to catch that level of mistake. And you cross a line where that doesn't define you, where an experience like that, you know, you're going, oh, I lingered on that thought too long. You don't go, I'm still an addict. Right. I'm not worthy of any of this. I'm, you don't right. get into all that toxic shame dialogue, no. right? Right, because the toxic it, shame then emotionally dysregulates, which then keeps that addiction cycle going. Yep, yep. So there is a way out. There is. <laughs> there is. And uh, again, I, I encourage many, um, you know, a lot of stories on the blog. A lot of those guys do a good job talking about just how they personally found that change. Um, these were excellent questions. Absolutely. Um, so anything else we didn't hit on that you want to add, Brian? No, I, I think I love the question. I think it's a very relevant question. I think more people have that question that haven't verbalized it. So I'm hoping people will listen to this and, and find some hope in it. Yeah. Again, I just want to commend you for reaching out, for being willing to ask questions. I know that that is vulnerable and scary and hard, and I, I get that and have experienced that a lot and, and obviously dealt with a lot of shame myself and stuff. So give you huge props for that. Brian, thank you for being willing to sit down and uh, put this in words as I knew you could so well. So I appreciate you taking the time. Um, again, uh, feel free to submit uh, any follow-up questions to this or any new anonymous questions. We'll answer them in the next episode. Um, until then, we'll uh, catch you guys on the next podcast. Thanks, Brian. Thank you.